um, a friend of mine, you know, he has a girlfriend and they were uh, along their anniversary, they were together and he said, well, I'm not very capable of writing something for her. And uh, he went to like, you know, online on Google, how can I write something uh, very interesting? And he found chat GPT-3. He went on the page and he asked it, hey, can you please tell me something sweet for the sweetest person ever? And yeah, he hit the, the run button and it produces an output and he decided to send the message to a girlfriend. <laughs> so after a while, she replied like, oh, my love, I'm uh, almost crying in the <laughs> office. Uh, did you write that? It was amazing. And yeah, he said, yeah, of course, I <laughs> wrote it. <laughs> but then uh, after, after a while, uh, he said, yeah, maybe it's too much to hide it. And then uh, he decided to tell her the truth. And uh, that chat GP3, uh, this AI, and wrote for him the text. And she got very angry <laughs> with that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Welcome to a new episode of The Ramp. A podcast produced by customer strategy and design of Deloitte Digital. My name is Bart and I will be the guide throughout this first episode of this year. We're trying something new this episode, so let us know what you think about it. In the intro, you just heard Luca talk about using AI. And that will be the theme of today's episode. Luca's anecdote is part of a larger discussion that we had a few days ago, together with our host Mo and our guest Krishna, who also chose the topic of this episode. So let's see where that discussion about AI takes us. And this present day version of me will come back to you when I like to highlight something. That might sound a bit complex, but it will all make sense in the end. So for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Um, today we are talking about another advanced technology and that's AI and ChatGPT and all the different appliances of how we nowadays use AI in our work or in our personal lives. Uh, today we have uh, a special guest, which is uh, Krishna. Krishna uh, recently joined Deloitte. Uh, can you maybe introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Very nice to be here with these three brilliant gentlemen in this podcast. My name is Krishna. I joined CSND as an analyst in November. Uh, I come from the southeast part of India. And uh, I happen to know just a little bit about technology because I've done engineering in my past. However, I'm just as curious to learn what the three of you think um, with the number of softwares and the number of applications that are out there to be built on this thing called OpenAI. And that's what we could start our discussion today, uh, something around the idea of what is OpenAI doing to the world? Is it important? And if yes, why is it important? So first off... Uh, to talk about this umbrella, right, of platforms of innovation. Um, why is it that today OpenAI setting up a platform is any different from uh, the hundreds of platforms that existed before? Um, I think an important consideration is um, these platforms are supporting or kind of creating new innovation almost independent of human intervention. So how? Share an example. Uh, in addition to the funny story we just discussed about ChatGPT3, let's say you're someone who works in art, in design, in any part of corporate world, and you go and you find out and you ask reasons 
or ask ways to chat gpt3 on how you can improve your work something as basic as that and you go and ask this question every day or you provide more information about you every day what this chat gpt3 or this tool is able to do is refine its answer over and over and give you a better answer the next day try to just thinking about the human equivalent of this right the human equivalent of this is you ask this to one person a colleague at work and 3 days later they're really frustrated with you and they say why are you asking me the same question over and again what do you expect do you expect a different answer the open ai however will never ask you that question it will continue to learn it will try and continue to look for new information to see if it can answer your question better so i think um to start off i would like to get um your opinions on this on this ability to innovate and create uh, even outside of human intervention uh, with ai is chat gpt actually learning is it actively changing its answers based on input given by users no that's a very good question it does not uh, or rather it does learn but this reinforcement learning um, i think individual users cannot track so the previous example i gave was merely a hypothetical uh, you're right like if i go on to chat gpt3 and i ask the same question every day i cannot know if chat gpt3 has learned from the questions i asked however i think in the background because this is all reinforcement learning based so what that means is um it's, it's just like a program you program something you give it more information and based on these information and certain instructions the computer understands whether it's doing something right or wrong every time it's doing something right it's reinforced that this is correct and that's how it continues to learn so a uh, very interesting question but i think um, not for individual users but i think it's always learning uh, the learning loops are always on that is why uh, i think the power of these ais is um, of these ai based platforms is so important because they have the ability to learn so quickly yeah i, I think looking at an example from I, i think it was microsoft a few years ago that introduced a chatbot that would learn from input from the from the users and it became super racist super fast and would post super racist and and awful things on the internet and then they shut it down very quickly so okay. learning is is interesting but it, yeah i think the way they do it now is way better than absolutely um I think uh, the considerations that are came coming up right the ethical considerations the discriminatory references that are coming up uh, even with chat gpt3 if you have seen and it's also kind of painful to see some um, articles in the newspaper about how chat gpt3 is being misused so small recap we are talking about the implications of the way we would hypothetically be interacting with chat gpt in a work scenario and how making ai's learn from previous interactions could end up in an unwanted scenario. Yeah, we went quite technical quite fast in the first 5 minutes. That's why we need some help about the technical side of this. That is why I asked our colleague Bob to help us out. Hi, my name is Bob. I'm a senior creative technologist at Deloitte. Nice to meet you. So, Bob, could you help us out for the rest of the episode? Could you explain a bit what ChatGPT is and what the difference is with that other AI hype called Dolly? ChatGPT is a type of AI called a large language model and is a more fine-tuned version of GPT-3 that was released by OpenAI in 2020. A language model is a machine learning model trained to generate text 
And the goal of the model is to do a best guesstimate for the next word based on previous words. It has been trained on a data set called Common Crawl, which is basically a machine crawling the internet for example articles to add to its data set. Then it is fine-tuned by people to answer all kinds of questions. Also, they have released an online chat tool that everyone can use via chat.openai.com. In this chat, people can also provide feedback. This is very valuable data for OpenAI to fine-tune the model further. And because it is so easy to create an account, easy to use and also impressive, it has gone viral in the world. Dolly is also a type of AI. But the difference is that instead of generating text, it can generate pictures from textual descriptions. It is trained on a large data set of text image pairs. And using the text descriptions as input, it can generate from noise a unique picture that is based on that description. Okay, thanks. Let's go back to the discussion. I think we should like stay away from definitions of what is art, etc., and more like tailored towards what the, the AI. Because um, hearing you all talk about these different tools and methodologies, it, like there is this Dolly, there is Mid Journey, there are a lot of other applications of AI. Um, but it's also good to be aware how much of the regular user or the regular person listening to this podcast maybe is also making use of AI but not knowing. Uh, and that that kind of is is intriguing because we just talked about this case of your friend uh, you deliberately using uh, AI to come up with a message that's not his own. But we often also get slight suggestions when we make PowerPoints uh, to make your PowerPoint more pretty or we get uh, phrase suggestions which is not an entire message but it's still based on AI they give you suggestions on how you could phrase something differently and that's that's also like there is a gray area of okay is this me generated or is this AI generated so where is the line like it, your friend wrote an entire message maybe that's too much but you accepting a slight suggestion and then saying, I made this PowerPoint deck or I made this, this presentation, that could also be like a very blurry line. How do you think about it, Bart? Yeah, I do think you made a slide deck. Yeah, once someone makes uh, a website, for example, with uh, an online tool that has templates and uh, they just have to type in some keywords and something pops up, people still say, I made this website. I fully agree. You used smarter tools. Yeah, I fully agree. But yeah, you're still the person that, that made something from an idea that you have into something tangible, something actually as a product. So, okay, so very natural follow-up to this discussion between Bart and Mo, for example, would be the question, so how do you see uh, IP, right? Like how do you see ownership of uh, these things? Like, yeah, we let's say I made the presentation using my knowledge, using a smarter tool, mm -hmm. but does the creator of that smarter tool uh, deserve any kind of recognition for the work being done that well? Or is it not that not relevant because it's just a tool and still the input kind of came from me? Is the maker of the tool making it as a service for you? Is it providing the tools for you and you pay for that tool, then no. Then, of course, then you made it using the tools, you bought it, that's fine. 
otherwise, yeah, I would say the creator of the tool, the AI, would become part of the, the owner of the thing you made. Right. Okay, so this, there must be some sort of transactional, you know, if there's already some money involved, you've already made a transaction to kind of give the tool uh, value back, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. But otherwise, maybe there is. I would rather focus more on um, traceability and trackability over whose IP right is it. Because if you made a PowerPoint on your own without AI, uh, you still made use of a, of a tool made by Microsoft. So is that an IP of Microsoft? Or So this, this discussion, can we can like, yeah, make it as big as, as we want. Uh, but I think in, in, uh, for trackability, in per, uh, because you don't know who, who made it or what's the purpose of it. Um, and if it's made by AI, sometimes some sensitive uh, things that are made by AI, for example, political videos or uh, images or whatever, they should be trackable and there should be a clear disclaimer rather over ownership um, that it was made by AI to just prevent from uh, well, people from misinformation. Uh, I think that's a, rather a more um, sensible discussion to have over like uh, whose IP right is it? Because the IP right, yeah, it's also a very creative process to come up with the right prompts to create a good art. So I think in that on its own is already very, very uh, arty, <laughs> so to say. Uh, although you can use ChatGPT to uh, write down prompts for you <laughs> to create art. So then, yeah, talking about loopholes, you can. I think this is the first time where we got where we got into like a new technology that's so versatile and big that we, yeah, up until now, still don't know the limits. Good one. And for instance, on that uh, mo, um, we can also, yeah, uh, remember the deep fake uh, AI. Uh, used by some politicians, well, or a party or whatever, would try to say something and convince the other of them saying something. Well, it, it was not true. It was not, for instance, Trump saying X, Y, Z, and it was not Obama saying X, Y, Z, and so on. So probably saying, hey, it is generated by AI, it cannot be used um, for political reasons. It could be a disclaimer indeed. On that uh, I have a question for all of us, actually. So we were talking about this even earlier and we thought, thought of what will AI do to my job, right? And I would like to get your personal opinion on what do you think AI can possibly do that you already do in your job? And if there is something, do you think there is actually a chance that AI can take over a part of your profession? So. Well, right now I'm super happy that uh, tools like Dali are horrible at creating UX design. <laughs> the, oh. <laughs> once you ask them to generate something, um, well, um, digitally, digi digital interface related, it's it's a mess. It's um, it might have some nice visual and style things that it could suggest. So you could use it for that kind of things. But I do have to say that I am not a designer that uses Pinterest, for example, for inspiration. I'm I'm subconsciously aware of the things that I see and then put into designs and then I feel horrible for using that. So I always try to not use any kind of inspiration while creating something. So right now I'm very pushing away from using AI as inspiration or as a tool to create designs. But that's me. 
I very much disagree with you <laughs> and your process at all because I think it's it's uh, as a UX designer and I've been UX designer, I make use of a lot of best practices. Best practices are basically things that have been done and proven to be right or correct. I mean, like, why should I figure out the entire world to understand why a button should be left or right or where it should be positioned. I think that's the kind of stuff that I would love AI for, to do for me, so I can focus on more on new experiences that have not been uh, that have not been discovered yet, and I can focus on testing and validating with users and seeing like, okay, what are new insights that have not been d- done, and once they are converted into best practices, I'm happy to uh, teach AI to add that to the to its library, so I can focus on the more. Uh, broader problem. So I think in terms of how AI would influence my work, I would embrace it and I think it's inevitable that it will be there and we should we should figure out and try out how it could enhance our work so we free up space and, and capabilities to focus on more rather like ambiguous or uh, un, un, undiscovered uh, problems. I also agree with you, Mo. Uh, I speak as a data scientist. Sorry, Bart, we don't know. <laughs> but uh, no, for instance, like we can use uh, AI uh, to, to suggest some, some coding. And I think, indeed, from my perspective, this could help us to write better or code in a faster way, maybe not better at, the, at first, um, but it can help us in the process. And then if we do have, uh, or if we will have soon a tool that can help us, then why not use it? Um, why not give it the chance to help us and um, allow us to focus on something else or something more specific on the tool? Um, so that's my vision, um, and that's what I think. With that, I don't think that it will take over completely um, the, the job that we do have, uh, but it will probably help us too. Probably something like Google. Um, or uh, like instead of asking, hey, what is the best way to, maybe you ask to something else. I don't know. Right, exactly. Maybe it's not as uh, this inevitable kind of, or uh, you know, this end scenario that we're painting out to be. Maybe it's just, just the next innovation. We're at the start of discovering it, so it feels that big. And I think I share a mixed opinion about this, kind of on both sides. Uh, So I'm uh, now a business analyst and what I'm doing on the daily is try to see the reasons why something works or something doesn't work. And I think where AI can really, really make uh, my job, for example, easy would be to help me do more research, to help me put all this research together and to help me form, show the connections within this research. However, the other perspective, right? Like why I think... Uh, AI will only enable my job but not fully take it over is that it's a very human job and ultimately human beings cannot be explained. Even we can't explain to ourselves, I think, all the choices we make, even if we try for our whole life. So I think it's just not possible that an AI can fully understand human beings and why they are making certain decisions. And because of that, certain themes will always be, uh, I think, slightly out of the reach of AI that only human beings can fully understand. Uh, and that's the little optimistic uh, part of my uh, of the view. 
I would like to add yet to your story yet. because I, th I think we're at a point where like technology knows us better than we do know ourselves. And I think if you extend that trend with AI, I think we will reach a, a point where AI can overcome us and, and we'll be smarter than us and we'll be better than us. And just to the point of Bart uh, saying Dali is not the perfect or the right tool to use it for uh, UI, I think there are other tools out there that are made for that purpose. Uh, and that you can really use to get some inspiration from. And, and um, I think in general, as designers, we are problem solvers and we like to investigate the different ways we could solve a problem with. And AI could help us in figuring out new ways, creative ways that we have not been th thought, uh, thinking of because we are just limited by our experiences. Uh, but since uh, yeah, AI has so many experiences that it learns from, uh, I think it's a great start to 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 make use of it uh, and enrich your capabilities with. Interesting. So if it is really a question of when, then a question of if, that is, when will AI actually become better than us in these all these different ways, then I think uh, it's already time to start thinking of what will we do in such a situation, right? What is our position going to be in society in this mm -hmm. world? Are we still going to govern this? Because that's what we've been doing for many centuries. Or do we have to think of a way to work with AI to govern ourselves? So I think that will be quite uh, a tough, but <laughs> a new situation to be in. Clearly, I find this discussion very interesting. We have people that cannot wait to collaborate with AI. And then there is the side where I stood on this discussion that looks at it from a more skeptical angle. Luckily, we don't have to wait a long time to see how collaboration with AI in our daily work turns out, because we asked two of our colleagues that already have some experience. Let's first listen to the story of Susanne. Hi, my name is Susanne. Um, I've used AI in my work two times before. I used it for a chatbot demo. Um, I used ChatGPT to um, think of a conversation in between a chatbot and a person. Um, so I didn't have to come up with the whole conversation myself and that was really useful. Uh, so I could just copy paste the whole conversation. And another time I used Dali because uh, I needed a picture of a post-apocalyptic Dutch farm and I couldn't find it. And I asked Dali to make it for me um, and that was very useful. So that uh, was very easy to do. Susanne describes a very generative approach to embracing AI in the design process, which can save a lot of time. But there is another approach that Thomas can tell us a bit more about. Hi, I'm Thomas and I'm a user experience designer at Acne Amsterdam. I find myself using AI mostly for copy-related challenges. When I design an interface, I often find that the length of the text is not appropriate for the design I'm making, or the text does not really reflect the tone of voice of a product. I use an AI in order to make the proper adjustments, to make a text shorter, wittier, more formal, so the product really truly feels like what I intend it to be. AI allows me to focus not on copy, but on what I do best, which is design. It also just saves me a lot of time. The AI just makes it work so that I can do my work, and I would encourage everyone to do the same. Both examples come from my design backgrounds, which is, of course, obvious seeing the goals of both ChatGPT and Dolly. That's why I asked Mike, a customer strategy analyst, what he thinks about the future of consulting and AI. Hi, my name is Mike. So what does it mean for us? I guess the only thing that AI is going to do is support us in a way. 
And we've seen this with ChatGPT. Uh, Everyone is really scared about it. I'm, I'm a writer. Am, am I still going to have a job in like five years? Well, I guess that's not really the, the discussion. I guess the AI is not really, you know, that far to replace creative jobs, but it can support it really well. We can look up any ideas on the... Um, to support our ideas, you know, uh, conceptual thinking, design thinking, anything like that, or, you know, help us structuring uh, our ideas in a way, but in the end, never going to replace us or, you know, uh, and I can never really communicate with other people in that way. I think these examples paint a nice picture of the short-term future and how we will slowly embrace more AI tools in our lives. In our discussion, however, I had a certain concern that I wanted to talk about with the group. So... Let's get back to that. So right now we have one company having two products that are, well, universally amazing, right? Everybody likes it. Everybody's like, whoa, that's the future. Isn't it scary Does it ju- that it's just one company and the, the fact that it is an American company with its American values spreading its products all over the world? Is that a thing that we should be aware of? Should we have... A European company that does the same. Don't we have that? I mean, we do have a lot of companies that work with AI. Uh, even Deloitte does. Um, so, I mean, the fact that okay, maybe we don't generate, we do not provide, at least of what I'm aware of, like a, a solution as the Open AI as a lot of, as a competitor directly to that. But we do use AI. Um, we do use it in our work. So I think the competition is there um, and we are making use of it. Yeah, just not on the level that, that OpenAI is then. With that kind of products, I mean. Yeah, Maybe maybe right now, as of at this moment, that's a concern. Yeah. But I think it's going to become like any other product where you will have competition from every country, maybe just a matter of a few months or a few years. Uh, and then maybe it'll be slightly more democratic. Uh, so I, I think so. it's not uh, something to worry about personally, because uh, it's only a matter of time. Because it's not possible to stay anti-competitive in, in any industry, even if it's like a very advanced technology-based industry. Yeah, because I noticed something. Because OpenAI's Chat GPT, um, once you have something in there that that it doesn't understand or you, you mention that something is wrong, it, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, my apologies. It's very uh, apologetic. Something that could be related to the fact that it's trained by an American company. The way that it's responding is showing American culture. And now we're liking this kind of behavior that AI does. Now we're expecting that this AI actually apologizes. Although maybe a, um, a Dutch uh, <laughs> version would be like, well you're wrong um, <laughs> you should have known better I, I think it's scary that we have one company now that is showing to the world this is it and everyone agrees well we might lose some of our own values uh, culturally or personally in an idea of an AI I think one thing that's missing in, in this uh, entire story is that um, it may be owned or created by this American company but it's also open, uh, which means that it's trained and it's learning from uh, people from around the world. 
And um, well, there are tons of videos ac actually out there that where you clearly see that um, ChatGPT3 is actually uh, giving an answer, a faulty answer, and it's giving it in a super convincing way uh, that you just would rather believe it. Uh, and if you ask it another time or another way, it will give a completely different answer also very convincingly that it's the right answer. So it's not flawless. It definitely has mistakes. I think also in the way the response is given is also not always the same way. It's not always very apologetic. So um, it's, yeah, I think susceptible to how you ask things. And, well, I don't, I don't know how the black box exactly works, but the answers are not definitely not always the same. Yeah. And what do you guys think of this? What do you guys think of everyone who's uh, in still in school or college that's now writing all their essays <laughs> using ChatGPT3? Would you like to have that uh, when you were back in school? What do you think of that? Like, is this something that uh, makes you feel good? Like, oh, I can get all my homework done. I can get all my work done fast. Or does it scare you even as a, as a child or a teenager thinking about this? I love this question. Um, I, and I would have loved to have uh, this possibility during my younger years, uh, during college, because I think it would have helped me a lot to um, to do my work better uh, and not per se like copy-pasting the answers, because obviously that's something that we have done anyway, with or without AI. But in, in order to understand different models or different, um, well, how teachers explain uh, for example, models. I have, a, I have an example here. Um, I saw the other day a video where this marketeer was using uh, ChatGPT to write um, like marketing commercials through the AIDA model mm -hmm. or the uh, the other. There are s several models, uh, and I would have never done it better than how the uh, AI did it. But at the same time, I also got very, very good examples of how to write them well. Uh, and I think that's more important than just yeah, copy-pasting something. I think seeing the examples and seeing how it's and so oftentimes properly executed is, is a very valuable uh, asset that you know, we would not have back in the days. We'd have one example in the book and everybody would make use of that example and that's it. Um, now you have like a diversity of, of, of examples and ways to apply different models, uh, uh, teams, ter terminologies, um, processes. So I think this is like an enrichment to all the students and everybody should be using it actually. Okay. Uh, the enrichment argument is quite sound, uh, but I'd like to ask you, what do you think about the free thinking or original thinking side of it like childhood is more of the time where you are kind of pushed out of your limits right to create thoughts on your own to create ideas on your own do you think that doing this at such a young age especially if you're in school if you're between five and ten years old and you're using something like chat gpt to write your answers are you losing some innate ability i think you might lose on some some uh, ability to create or to think of new things, but at the same time, I think what you get in return is way bigger. I mean, like the way we would use ChatGPT is definitely different than how a five or six year old, if they can even use it through voice, would use it. Uh, and I think that opens up 
new possibilities that were not possible until now. So I think, yes, of course, this is this is this is how things change, and I think we should adapt to it. Yeah. All these things are, of course, part of this larger discussion about AI and ethics. Bob, could you tell us a bit more about that? So if you followed the news about ChatGPT, you've also probably heard news around the ethics of such AI models. For example, it is quite expensive and it costs a lot of energy to train and run also these bigger versions of the models. Or that young people or students are using it to cheat on exams or create papers. Also people believing that what ChatGPT is saying to be real, uh, even though the ChatGPT doesn't really understand what it is saying. So in that sense, it can be very elusive. There's a famous paper about the dangers of stochastic parrots. And basically it's about ChatGPT and that it can be compared to a robot parrot. Parrots can repeat what we are saying, but not really understand what it means. So that's where that comparison comes from. The training data is another topic of concern. There have been lawsuits already for GitHub's Copilot, for example, about scraping open source repositories that have certain licensing agreements, um, and then they are used in the dataset of such a large language model. Um, and there are more examples like this out there. For the AI models that create images, we've seen that the works of artists, for example, are being used as inspiration to create images in their style. And some photographers and artists have in response wanted an opt-out for their art in these models. Shutterstock and OpenAI announced that they will work together to compensate if their content played a role in the creation of an image. But then still it is hard to prevent other models from doing the same. For example, what will the creators of Stable Diffusion or Midjourney do? What is also important, and Stable Diffusion is a very good example of that, is that an older version of Stable Diffusion had leaked. And this opened the doors for people to run it on their own machines and generate all kinds of deplorable content, uh, or create content that is meant to decept people, for example. As these models become better, it is very important to keep the technology out of the wrong hands. And I wonder if we will succeed as time goes by. With this in mind, let's go back to the last part of our discussion. So what did we take away from our discussion today? I think very one important takeaway is it's here to stay. Whether it's OpenAI or ChatGPT or whatever else, this thing of artificial intelligence, this thing of combined machine and human intelligence, it's going nowhere. Uh, I think realistically the best we can do as a society is to try and work with it than against it. So that's one very important takeaway for me. Yeah, From my point, it's, uh, I think it's very important to not be afraid of it or shut it down. Embrace it, uh, utilize it, try, the, try its limits. Um, try it out at first. I mean, like a lot of people see videos and or hear about it or listen to a podcast about it, but it's definitely different when you suddenly use it for the first time for your own purpose and it turns out to be quite useful. Then you see the benefits of it and you'll start to think about the possibilities. Um, I think that's that's like, yeah, a call to action for everybody listening to the podcast. Uh, try it out. It's free as of now uh, for non-commercial use, I have to add. 
so why not give it a try and see how it can help you or uh, making, I don't know, like your next workout schedule or uh, create a diet plan for you. What is your personal goal this year? And try to find ways on how it could help you. And you'll see it's it will turn out very help, helpful and useful. And then the next thing you know, you think, hey, how could I have lived without it? All these years i need it so desperately in my life because it's enhanced, enhanced all, uh, everything in my life so you heard it it's your time to try it out now to give you some final inspiration for the future i give the final word to bob on what potential he sees right now but before that i'd like to thank everyone that contributed to this episode luca mo krishna bob Susanna, thomas and mike and i hope you the listener enjoyed this episode and hopefully i will catch you in the next one so bob take it away so many applications where you can use this but also the the list of ai models has been growing a lot and i think we will also see the combination of these technologies so really the the innovation part uh, we will see so many opportunities also for example combining the the transformer models the the creating of images together with 3d models for, for example in software tools such as blender or uh, the creation of digital humans, uh, gaming, uh, mixed reality, the, the list is so long. And uh, yeah, my creativeness can't keep up. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we are entering a very exciting time.